Good evening. This evening's reading is 1 Timothy chapter 6 and can be found on page 1194 of your church Bibles. We can follow along on the screens in front. So starting from chapter, from chapter 6, verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we have brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Thank you very much, Vicky. When we first hear chapter 6, 
read, it seems as though the Apostle Paul has just thrown into a bag everything that he's been talking about for the last five chapters, shakes it up and, and, and dumps it out. And when I first read um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, I thought, well, this is going to be fun to entangle this. But um, with God's help, I, I've sought to do that. And it does make sense. Yes, um, Paul is reminding Timothy of things that he's been sp- speaking about in the chapters before. But he's also, he's, he's got, he knows what he's doing and he's beginning to apply these things before he reaches the end of his letter. So let's pray that God would give, give us understanding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's not just a jumble of, of words, but it's truth. And it's truth that convicts and it's truth that teaches and it's truth that leads us into the life that is truly life. And we pray that that the word of God, the truth of God might do that this evening. Amen. Amen. Nick reminded us earlier on that we we are sinners who are saved by grace. And it must be nearly 50 years ago I stepped foot in the church at the age of 21 and I began to hear that. I thought, "I'm, I'm not that bad. The, 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 I was referred to as a sinner. And if you, if you call people who are not church people, you're a sinner, they go, oh, how terribly rude. Whereas in church here, you can call people a bunch of sinners and they go, oh, man, that's absolutely true, that's right. But when the Spirit gets to work, then surprise, surprise, we begin to feel and see what we really are. We're sinners and we need to be saved. And that's what the Apostle Paul did when he went to Ephesus. He preached the gospel. And many people, Jews, non-Jews, Gentiles, they came to faith in Christ. They came to realize that they were sinners and they had been saved. And that was a while back. And this church had developed and grown. And and there were some things were going wrong in that church. So so Paul sends his beloved son into into Ephesus to go and sort a few things out. And that's what 1 Timothy is about. And and it's, it's, it's a great little letter there. There's so much packed in there. And, and, and what relevance is it to us today, 2,000 plus years on, a great relevance because the church of God is much the same now as it was then. We're still sinners who need to be saved by grace. We consider ourselves very sophisticated and maybe a million miles away from those people 2,000 years ago in Ephesus. Yet the word of God speaks to our hearts just as it did to theirs. And, and God is still saving sinners. Paul Young, rough and everything there, God saved him as a young man, brought him to do a great work. And many of us here this evening, we, we didn't start off in church, we've, we've been saved along the way. And here we are praising the Lord Jesus Christ as the Apostle Paul was. So the Apostle Paul in Timothy is, is writing to his beloved son, co-worker in the gospel, urging him to stay in the city of Ephesus and to build up the church that's there to build up the church that's there, Timothy. Easier said than done. And Paul is not only writing to Timothy, but he's writing, as we were reminded earlier on, to the Christians in Ephesus. This letter also went to the church at Ephesus, which kind of backed up what Timothy was about to do and say. So they didn't just throw him out at the first instance. And, And they would read this letter, and it gave Timothy an authority to say the things that might have been quite difficult to hear. And 1 Timothy and other scriptures help us to see God's pattern, God's template for the church, 
how a church should be. Who should be its leaders, its teachers? What qualifications should they have? How should the various groups of people within that church behave? The young, the middle-aged, the elderly? What role should men and women have? What things should they be taught and aim for? And what things should be avoided? And, and these letters are a pattern that God has given to his church to, to build the church on. It's a foundation which we build our church structures upon. There's not a great deal. God leaves a lot to us to do our own thing. But these are foundations that are essential. These are the truth that needs to be guarded that we hear about at the end, that we need to keep because God is building his church. Yes, we seek to help in that work, but ultimately it's God that's building his church. And if this pattern is followed, then the church will grow. The church will mature. People will become Christians. And they will not only become Christians, but they will bear fruit that pleases God. They will be a healthy, a sound church. Running a church isn't like running a business. It's not like running a club that needs you know, somebody, a CEO at the top that's got business mind and so on. It's not like that. We, we do need those skills and abilities. But, but the church isn't this just worldly institution. The church spans two realms. It's, it spans this world. We are in this world. We walk in this world. But as Christians, we're born again into another world, the world of God, the heavenly side of things. And the church spans these two worlds. That's the wonder about the church. We are already in the heavenlies. Yes, we walk about in earth and we're doing our stuff, but as we come into church to worship God, we come into the presence of the altogether holy one. And we, 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 we worship him. We really do that. And we sense and, and feel him and know him speaking to us and working in our hearts. So, so God's plan for building the church, we, we need to follow his rules. Then it works. It will work well. And we'll see God blessing that work. So, so that's what Paul is, is writing to Timothy to do. And here in chapter 6, he concludes the letter. And he just reminds him of a few things, a few important things. And the first thing, I'm just going to go through the passage, through the verses, and apply them as we go through. Okay, that's, that's, that's my plan this evening. So if you wonder where is he going, that's the plan, to go through the verses and to apply them as we go along. And if you think, God, he's going on so long. We haven't even had the application yet, then the application as we, as we go along. And Nick has warned me that it's been a long day, it's been a hot day, people might get a bit sleepy. But I'm sure you won't go to sleep this evening. So chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 2b because the first couple of verses were dealt with in last week's sermon. So first of all, in verses 3 to 10, we see Paul saying to Timothy, there are two dangers that you really need to avoid and to make sure that the church avoids as it's growing up. So two dangers to avoid or two dangers to be aware of. And the first one we see in verses 3 to 5 is false teaching. So if you look there at verse 2, if you've got your Bibles open or your iPads or whatever you might have, verse 2, the end of 2, we call it 2b in the trade. Verse 2b, Paul warns him there, these are the things you should teach, refers to what's gone on before, what Paul has been laying down, the principles of behavior, of conduct. These are the things you should teach. This is the sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3. It's called godly teaching. That's what the church does. 
gives godly teaching so that the people might grow in godliness. But within the church at Ephesus, sadly, there have, become, there have been false teachers and their teaching is not sound, but it's unhealthy. Verse four, their lifestyle and their influence is bad news for the church. And verses four and five gives a list of their dangerous faults. They're, it says they're conceited, they understand nothing. That's understanding nothing of spiritual truth. They love to be controversial. They like dividing the church rather than seeking harmony within the church. They quarrel about words. They're nitpickers. They're hair splitters over things. And, and the result of their teaching, we see it there in verse four, is envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction. Not a good atmosphere for a church to, to be in. Paul carries on, their minds are corrupt. They have been robbed of the truth. They're not teaching the truth. That they are depraved of mind and they are deprived of truth. The truth that sets us free, the truth of the gospel. And also, they're out to make money. Verse five, thinking that godliness is a means to financial gain because there was money to be made by these peddlers of the false gospel. There still is. They are still there exactly the same. We call it the prosperity gospel, don't we? These preachers of the prosperity gospel, they like to make money. That is wrong. That is false teaching. Gossip and greed were their motives, and they were a danger to the church in Ephesus. They still are today. We need to watch out and to avoid false teachers and false teaching. Second danger is the love of money. Verses 6 to 10. But, says Paul, there is true gain in the Christian life, far more than you imagine. It's a, it's a gain that is for both this life and the life to come. It's a gain that, is, that we enjoy in this life, but it's a, a gain which we enjoy in our eternal life. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 it spells that out very clearly, that, that godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. There is gain in godliness. Godliness with contentment, we see in verse six, is great gain. Godliness with contentment. We have peace with God, and we have peace with life, with ourselves. That's the holy grail, surely. To be content is what, what the world desperately desires, and very often thinks, I can do that with money. If only I had money, to buy things, I could be content. I can assure you, it doesn't work like that. And, and Paul reminds them, we, we, you enter this life with nothing, you leave this life with nothing, and all the bits and pieces that you gain in the meantime, you're going to have to leave behind. Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked will I depart. So Paul says in verse 8, tell the folks in Ephesus, tell them to learn to be content with just the basics, to learn to be content with little, to go through life as light as they possibly can. Because sometimes the, these things are just like a weight that, that, that burden you down. So, so go through life, learn to be content with, with the basics, with food and clothing. Clothing then can, can include shelter. Try and learn to be content with what you have. That's what the writer to the Hebrews said. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. 
I will not be afraid. God is my helper. God is with me. What greater treasure could I want than that? God's presence, God's blessing. And Paul says again in verse 9, those who want to get rich, and here is the danger, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow, what a warning that Paul gives of the dangers of making money or riches your goal, of desiring riches rather than desiring God. Well, why is this? It's like, you know, you youngsters think, oh, if only I could win the lottery or the X factor, that's it. My dreams are answered. So why is that? Because verse 10 gives us the answer. The love of money is a root of all kind of evil. Most misquoted, isn't it, verse in the Bible? Oh, money's the root of all evil. No, 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 no. It's the love of money. The desire for money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we only need to look around to see the truth in that. Out of this desire, this love, comes the fruit of evil. We, we live in a world, don't we, that, that craves to be rich. Fame and fortune is the aspiration of many. Wealth and status is what I want and what they aim for and desire and give themselves to. And history, ancient and modern, is littered with the wrecks of those who have been eager for money, made money their God, money their goal. And sadly, even Christians can be led down this path. That's why Paul writes to Timothy to say to the folks there, beware of the danger of making money your goal. Verse um, 10 there we see, some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith, this this glorious faith, and pierced themselves with, with many griefs. So that's, that's the first point, and we're out of danger now. We can leave those two dangers behind and press on with the next paragraph. Are we still awake? Good, some nods. Good stuff. You still awake, Nick? Good man, good man. Second point, verse 11 to 16, the Christian's pursuit. So if we're not to pursue money or wealth and fame, what are we to pursue? The Christian's pursuit. Timothy, verse 11 Timothy, no, not you. You're not to pursue these things. You're a man of God. Flee from all of this. The desires for fame and fortune. Make it your goal to head in the opposite direction. Here's what you need to pursue. And we can take some of these things on board too. Verse 11, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. These are Christian virtues. If you possess these things as a Christian, you are rich in God's kingdom. These are really valuable things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and godliness. Here is a good aim. A good aim for Timothy, a good aim for all Christians, an ambition to pursue. Make this your prayer for yourself. Make this a prayer for us as a church at Bishop Hannington, if we pursue and, and get hold of these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, we will become a good family, a good family of God in this neighborhood. And does that come easily? Is that just, just happens, does it? No. Verse 12 spells out that it doesn't come easily. Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold, grab hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you became a Christian. 
when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See that there in verse 12. And maybe that refers to his baptism. Maybe it refers to his ordination. And just like the Lord Jesus, who while testifying before Pilate, he stood firm. He bore the true witness as to who he was. And this is so important that Paul charges Timothy, doesn't he? Keep this command without spot or blame for all of your life, for all of your ministry, for all the time that you are given until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, which for certain God will bring about in his own time. There's no doubt, no doubt at all that the Lord Jesus will return and he will return in glory. In the biblical timetable of what's going to happen, the next thing that's going to happen is the Lord's return. And the, the, the scriptures teach that we must be ready. Not just ready in two weeks' time or two months' time or whatever it might be. We should be ready all the time for the Lord's return. He is coming back, coming back in glory. Okay, next paragraph. The Christian's God. Who are you fighting for, Timothy? Verse 15 gives the answer. Timothy and Paul are serving not their own interests, not their own desires. It's not about me, me, me. Or an earthly king or, or anybody, some famous person or anything like that. They're serving and fighting for the living God. And as Nick reminded us, who is this God? Verse 16, he's the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. This God is Timothy's God. This God is Timothy's strength and helper. This is the God that's brought Timothy into his kingdom. This is the God who has showered his love upon Timothy and the Ephesian believers. This is the God who has showered his love upon us two millennia later on. And we're experiencing and knowing that. This is God's, this is Timothy's God. And this is the God who is building up his church, his people. The call of verse 11 to 14 is a challenging one, isn't it? But it's a call to warfare in, in both realms. It's a, it's a call to face disappointments. It's a call to face hardship, as Paul has done. But, but it's really worthwhile because it's serving God. What better thing can you do than to serve God? And the rewards that we get from doing that far outweigh the hardships. Now, next, paragraph, next bit, verses 17 to 19, and this could apply to some of us. A word to the wealthy, a word to the wealthy. So having, verse 17, having commanded Timothy, Paul now tells Timothy to command the rich people in the church. And what is he to command? Not to be arrogant, we see in verse 17, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth. Arrogant means haughty, snooty, looking down your nose type of attitude at those below you. I'm rich and just far superior to you. It's that type of attitude. Paul says to Timothy, tell those people, command the rich not to be like that. And it's a command. And also another thing, don't put your hope in your wealth. Don't rest your confidence in your money. Why not? Because wealth is so uncertain, it can, it can fail, it can disappear, it's transitory. You leave it behind anyway, it can be lost. It's not a safe thing to lean on. Better by far to put your hope, your trust in God. There it says, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The Christian life should be enjoyable, 
God gives us things for our enjoyment. Our wealth and other things that wealth brings, they're not wrong in themselves. Far from it. It's not wrong or evil to be rich. It's a good thing through God's providence if we find ourselves among the wealthy. And it's something to thank God for. It's not money or riches that are wrong. It's the love of money. It's the love and and the desire for riches that's wrong. We mustn't make the pursuit of wealth our goal. Our pursuit is those good things, those good virtues, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, Christian virtues. The command continues in verse 18, command the rich. So with your wealth, what do I do with that? To do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share Command, not just to suggest them, excuse me, with, with, your, with your wealth, would you mind awfully if you just contributed a little bit of that to this, whatever it needs to be done. No, Timothy is to command them to do these things, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. They're, they're to use their riches for the glory of God and in helping his people, using their wealth in that way. We see in verse 19, their earthly treasures will be invested in in the heavenly bank and their riches will bring eternal dividends and also will bring them joy rather than the ruin of destruction of the money lovers of verse 9. Life in all its fullness, the life that is truly life will be theirs to take hold of. Just briefly, can I ask you, have you taken hold of that life that is truly life that is ours in Christ? It's a beautiful life. It's a glorious life. Paul has been teaching these people to do just that. Take hold of the life that is truly life. And many of us in, in the great scheme of things are rich. We're wealthy. I don't know what the top 95% is it of the world, the top 5%. We're in that just by being in England, as it were. We're rich. We're wealthy. And what a loud call for us here this evening and those listening online or in the car or whatever they might be. The command of the apostle to do good, to be rich in good deeds. There's joy, there's great joy, there's great reward in giving and sharing of our wealth. And the manner in which we give, we mustn't be stingy and, oh dear, better do that. Or else, I don't know, the church treasurer will be on at me again. No, it's, it's, we are to give generously and willingly. The giving principle, young people, are you, you're still awake, that's great, well done. Excellent. That, I'm going to teach you something that I learned as a very young Christian. The giving principle. Are you ready? The giving principle. You can't outgive God. Simple as that. And I learned that as a young Christian. It's true. We don't use that principle to get stuff from God. But the more you give, for some strange reason, God gives it back. And in 1660-something or another, John Bunyan, a dear hero of mine, wrote his Pilgrim's Progress Part 2, and he said this little poem, it's lovely. There was a man, though some did count him mad, the more he cast away, the more he had. And that's the giving principle. So maybe in, I don't know, 50 years' time, I remember the giving principle in Bishop Pennington Church. It's very important. You can't outgive God. Finally, verses... 20 and 21, the final words are to Timothy from Paul. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. You've been entrusted, Timothy, with this message of life, the gospel. Guard that. It's not to be messed around with. 
It's not to be played with. It's not to be changed. It's not to be converted into 21st century or whatever it might be, political correctness. God, what has been entrusted to you. Preach that word. Hand it over to others who will also preach that word. There's a message for us, isn't it? God, what has been entrusted to your care. The gospel messages that saves souls that brings people into the kingdom of God, that, that, that makes them grow and, and bear fruit. God, that which has been entrusted to you. Secondly, turn away from godless chatter, these false teachers, this utter drivel and rubbish that they're going on about. Timothy, turn your back on it. Get stuck into the real work of serving God. And then very finally, the conclusion, this tiny little line all by itself at the end of 1 Timothy that you could preach about a thousand sermons on by itself. Grace be with you all, says Paul to the Ephesians. Grace be with you all. The you there is plural. Grace be to you, Timothy, too. Grace is the old acronym that we use, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a bit twee, but there's a lot of truth in that. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the gospel. Believe the gospel. Come to experience the gospel. And may this word speak to us. Grace be to you all. Grace be with you all. God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that we all might know the grace, the grace of God, the blessing of God, we pray. Amen.